from the Northeast Forest Alliance, 30th anniversary. You're with Environmental as Anything on River FM 92.9. On this auspicious occasion. And I think, seeing as that we are still in the pre-94 phase, we should just, or 94, aren't we? Dylan, yes. No, Dylan's nodding, yes. So just a couple of quick things from 94, which was um, that our little group took the National Parks and Wildlife Service and the Forestry Commission to court uh, over the Wingham Management uh, Fauna Impact Statement and we... Um, we we were going to have Tim Robertson as our lawyer, as our barrister, and he pulled out near, sort of not that long beforehand and said, no, look, I've various reasons, I think you should run this case yourselves. But it was decided that we would get what was known as a junior, junior barrister and, um, and, a, and a solicitor. So anyway, we got this junior, junior barrister and we went into court and, and up against, uh, we were in front of Justice Hemmings, who, um, oh no, we were in front of Justice Talbot, but we had the former Justice Hemmings representing the Forestry Commission, QC, um, and a QC for the uh, National Parks and a Forestry had another barrister. And so they were all lined up with our little junior barrister and um, they were furious that we had come in. They were expecting to face the big gun, Tim Robertson, for a big showdown on forest issues and instead they got this junior guy and the judge was really dismissive and and the court protocol is that they all have morning teas together. All the barristers sit with the judge and they go to the judge's rooms and they all have to be there because you can't have one side and not the other. And so they were really annoyed that they had to put up with this poncy little junior, junior barrister in the morning teas. And so the, the judge basically just dismissed our case, like day one, you know, all our evidence about threatened species you know, inadmissible. Day two, whatever it was, inadmissible. Day three, I'm drowning my sorrows in the bar <laughs> with Dylan and Harry Parnaby and, um, and Greg and a um, few of us and we thought this is just terrible, you know, like we've, we've almost lost and we've, we've done nothing. We've got nothing into evidence, a complete disaster and we just better go back and... Um, to the warehouse where we were camping in Redfern. Some folks there had let us camp in the Redfern warehouse. And um, and uh, Harry brought his TV around so we could watch the 7.30 report because they were having a piece on the Wingham Forests. And, um, and Chris had driven home and Jenny Sheed was there and they'd done this forest piece on the telly about um, what was happening in our forests. And we got all inspired about how terrible it was and that we, you know, we weren't going to let them down and we needed to stand up and fight and yet we couldn't fight because we had this hopeless barrister. So the only thing we could do was to sack the barrister, sack the legal team and do it ourselves. So we agreed that that was what we were going to do and we rang up the lawyers and said, you've been sacked. And, um, and then we go into court the next morning and, you know, they all come in with their trolleys and their assistants and we've got a team of people with banana boxes with all our court documents and they all file in and put all our documents down. And, and um, it had been decided that I would be the um, advocate and um, Dylan was the advisor. <laughs> and so Dylan and I sat at the bench and next to the very, very angry QCs and um, and the judge sort of leaned forward and basically said, hmm, 
hmm, this is starting to look interesting. And um, he took delight at the fact that, you know, the QC wanted to do something important with his time. He didn't want to be here piddling around with this bunch of amateurs. And, um, and of course, they could no longer have morning tea with the judge anymore because we weren't lawyers and we couldn't have morning tea, so they couldn't have morning tea. So their whole little court thing that they do was all knocked out. And, um, and we proceeded to present our evidence and the judge was reasonably um, tolerant and um, sometimes gave assistance, seeing as we were unrepresented. And we said, look, we think you should go and have a look at the forests. And he said, yes, I think that's a good idea. I think I should go and have a look. And so we scheduled in a visit to the forests in, you know, a week later or something. And forestry had to put on helicopters and, you know, it was this whole big trip up to the forests. And forestry said, we'll do, we'll do uh, lunch. And we said, okay, we'll do dinner. So we go to this little little place, you know, there's the whole entourage, the judge and his tip staff and forestry and barrister and QC and National Parks QC and us rebel. And, uh, and forestry gives us these little bread rolls with a tiny little bit of ham in it, I think, um, an apple and a popper. And that was lunch. And, uh, and then... We we did and we went off and then the forestry QC Justice um, I keep calling him Justice Hemmings but he wasn't it was just Mr Hemmings he went away and left the second in charge and uh, so we had we put on dinner for the judge and one of our colleagues who unfortunately couldn't be here um, had been in the army as a uh, in the officers mess he'd worked in the officers mess so he had his little white tea towel over his arm. And he poured the wine into the glasses and we had this beautiful vegetarian lasagna and we had all this amazing food. And then we took the judge to hear endangered frogs in the creek and we went spotlighting and we saw two little greater gliders, you know, and we had the judge in the back of the ute. We're all like me and the judge and the two barristers, you know, we're all lining up in the back of the ute, Greg's driving and seeing the greater gliders and it was just, you know, it was a really great night and... And um, and the line that I remember is the next day at the end of the visit, we're standing in the park, or, you know, in the middle of the forest in the sort of park bit, and uh, the judge is leaning back on his, sitting on a stump, leaning back on his stump, and we're all lined up in front, the sort of legal teams. And um, Mr Hemming said, look, you know, Your Honour, um, judge, you know, I, I understand you saw a greater glider yesterday. You saw greater gliders when you were spotlighting. Well, you know they're not endangered, don't you? You know that they're, you know, if they're being represented to you as being endangered, that that's not the case. And the judge leans back, you know, gets a bit of a sway and says, Mr Hemmings, last night I saw and learnt many things about which you forever will be in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> and then we all went back to town. Anyway, that was very entertaining, but I have to just say before we get back to you that the next thing that happened after the court case was the stump truck, which was that, you know, thanks to uh, Jenny Sheed Allison, um, were these two enormous stumps that were put on the back of a truck that were uh, brought out of the forest by a couple of contractors in return for a couple of cases of beer because they really had no idea what was going to happen to them. And I think that they thought they were going to be garden ornaments or something. 
And, um, and that was the beginning of the first stump truck that toured all around the place and there's some photos somewhere, um, probably in my bag, but of the stump truck sort of almost in the front gate, front doors of Parliament House in Canberra and a, a truck laden with ferals just... Circ, you know, that big circular drive in Canberra, whatever it was, you know, it was just, it must have been 50 people on the truck on top of the stumps and the rainbow flags and the whole thing. And it was like, Nefa goes to Canberra for the Forest Embassy. That was, that was pretty huge. Okay, your turn, darling. I reckon it's time you came and gave us another episode. So, how are we going in the timeline? We haven't got very far. No, was Susie Russell. We're going to dial on a few now from Nipa. History here to give it just, uh, justice in this time frame. But one thing I failed to mention before is um, uh, there was a resource package that went down, as people identified, and instead they got part of it up, which was the Tim Ministry into Protection Act, which was to do these environmental impact statements. So that was in 1992, and they had five years to do 15 EISs for various areas. And um, the first one was Mount Royal that came up in 992 and it was rejected by Department Planning. Then there were another two that were approved with various conditions and then we got to the fourth one, which was the Dorigo EIS. And so um, uh, we decided we'd try and take it to court before it had been determined. And our, so we, we commenced all this legal proceedings, we got the evidence, we did all that sort of stuff. I, I think it cost me personally about 10 grand to prepare for this case, but our um, barrister wouldn't let us commence because he said we can't challenge an EIS before it's determined. But nonetheless, because we had, um, uh, you know, publicly said we're taking it to court and create all this fuss, the Department of Planning had no uh, option but to reject that EIS, so that was the fourth one. So one had already been gone down, this was the fourth one, and uh, so the Department of Planning uh, had signed the papers to reject it and forestry then withdrew it, the same, you know, like an hour later, before it could be legally rejected. So the forestry got out of a bit of hot water there. But what happened as a result of that was that the the whole EIS process collapsed. So this was a $15 million process that was just a sham and it was intended to uh, decide what the future reserve system would be. It was intended to, intended to achieve all these things and the whole thing fell in the mess and, and in the end, the Timber Industry and Protection Act, which, was, which kept on being extended and extended and extended, was extended in the end until 1998, so they didn't have to do the EISs. But they still proceeded to complete all the EISs, just none of them were ever determined. So we showed that their whole EIS, uh, EIS process was a farce. But um, uh, I'll now go back, on, back, back in time to uh, uh, 1981 when the, uh, uh, Fed, 81, when the federal government uh, uh, approved export wood chipping in northeast New South Wales for um, forest residues and uh, for logging residues and uh, sawmill residues. So it only had been subject to an EIS that only ever considered sawmill residues and they were going to transport it by rail back in 1977. But after then, after 1981, they kept on expanding what they could take as export wood chips. Uh, and they increased the volume. It was initially 350,000. They increased it to 500,000 tonnes per annum. So this is just from northeast New South Wales. Uh, there were uh, a series of ALP environment ministers who kept on telling the resource minister that EISs were required for these extensions, 
but he wouldn't listen. And in 1989, a whole new export woodchip operation of 180,000 tonnes per annum was granted, uh, granted to Brisbane Forest Products and they started uh, chipping private property in North East New South Wales. So none of this was subject to environmental assessment. And then in um, 1990, um, during Chilundi, uh, uh, we left the forest to go down and confront uh, Graham, Senator Graham, uh, or the, the, he was the ALP shadow minister, I think, at the time. Uh, oh, no, he was the minister, environment minister. We went down and confronted him, said we want an EIS for this wood chipping. And that was in 1990, he agreed. And just out of interest, um, we'd left the forest and gone back, uh, and that, you know, the number of us were arrested afterwards. The forestry had no evidence we'd left the forest. They presented no evidence to court. So those of us who were later arrested got off our charges because they couldn't prove we'd left the forest, even though we'd been down in Grafton uh, protesting. Um, but anyway, to move on, um, so you know, he, he agreed to do an EIS and then the, the Federal Resource Minister kept on saying no, 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 no. And it took us years to get a, a, an EIS done. But um, and it was crap anyway. Um, so uh, this, this there was this national campaign against export wood chipping at that time. Uh, the uh, federal government wanted to do resource security for pulp mills. So they wanted to give a do a pulp mill in Grafton and give it resource security that meant they they could guarantee the timber to it. Um, and what, we had a breakthrough in uh, 1994 when John Faulkner, the federal environment minister, was new to the job. And he invited the conservation groups from around Australia in to talk to him. And we went in and talked to him. He said, OK, well, I'm, I'm the Environment Minister. Um, he used to work in Veterans Affairs, I think. And he said, oh, look, my usual way is, well, what do you want? What can I do for you? So we said, we want you to uh, do an environmental assessment of the areas they're about to log. And uh, so he paid us to go, all environment groups all around Australia, to go and assess the environmental values of the areas proposed for logging the next year uh, to see whether they should be granted export uh, approval. So in 1994, on the, on the basis of, uh, of our advice to him plus his own department, he recommended 1,309 areas across Australia and, then, and 495 of those were in north-east New South Wales should be excluded from the export woodchip licences. But the resource minister agreed to only exclude 85 areas across the whole of Australia and many of them weren't even proposed for logging. So this created a bit of a public dilemma for the, um, uh, the government at the time. And the total volume they were uh, approving had increased to 6 million tonnes around Australia. Um, so uh, there was a major political crisis. Uh, Tasmanian Senator John Devereux resigned from the ALP. Uh, and even locally, our, uh, our member at the time, Harry Woods from the Clarence, moved a rescission motion and uh, five ALP backbenchers uh, threatened to resign. And uh, even the opposition leader, Bob Carr, came out against it. Uh, so there were rallies of tens of thousands of people uh, across Australia opposed to the decision. And to counter this, 2,500 timber workers set up a tent city uh, and 300 logging tr trucks were used to establish a blockade of Parliament House. And it turned quite violent when they tried to invade the Parliament. And in the end, only 294 of the identified areas were protected, and that included 90 departments in north-east New South Wales, uh, and the forestry agencies just added others to replace them. You know, we had a list of departments. Oh, we can't log those on, we just put another one on the list. Um, and then, uh, as a result of that, uh, uh, NEFA mounted a series of blockades of the deleted areas uh, in the lead-up to the 1995 elections. 
Um, and as a result of the uh, the whole issue being uh, becoming a national issue, uh, Bob Carr, in the lead up to 1995 state election, promised to protect old growth forests. And uh, what's more, um, the Greens refused to give him their preferences. He was the opposition leader at the time. Uh, until they redrafted their forest policy, which was to set up a forest assessment process along the lines that we wanted, which was based on uh, balanced uh, participation. So um, after all the, 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 the public outcry about wood chipping um, uh, and, and the bans, we uh, launched our campaign, Forest Must Survive 95. So our aim was to go around blockading compartments they identified for protection but decided not to do. So we had um, blockade, We had a, a rolling series of blockades where it wouldn't last more than a day or two and we started at Forest Land, went to Wild Cattle Creek, uh, Kilungundi, uh, then to Inglebar and to another five-day state forest and Six River where we dug in for the state election which was about due. I mean, basically... We were fucked if we didn't get Bob Carr elected. You know, he, he, he was promising to protect old growth forests. And the, uh, the other side was that they had um, uh, done some of their EISs and they were getting into the wilderness areas and logging the old growth. And this was our last chance, really. So um, uh, we had our, had our blockades. And, like, for example, when we did uh, Nullar Five Day, uh, we found that forestry were logging without a fauna licence. Uh, and they were, had caused significant erosion, uh, and the um, EPA even offered the, issued a, a legal notice to the forest because of uh, breaches of erosion conditions. And these were all in the compartments that had been approved for logging, by, or been removed from the list of protected areas by uh, uh, Mr. Keating. Um, so the response in that case of the uh, of the Minister for Forestry was um, the two compartments in Nullar Five Day had been logged inadvertently. What a mistake. Um, we had uh, you know, other protests where people were um, uh, uh, hurt and injured. There's one person who had a, uh, chained himself to a bulldozer and they decided to drive away with the bulldozer with him still chained to it. He almost choked. Um, so we had lots of um, uh, blockades in and in um, uh, 1996 we... Uh, uh, had a blockade on the Richmond Range and uh, uh, we decided we wanted to blockade this compartment number 307 they were about to log, which is a really high conservation value area. We went out to check it out and just down the road we found another one of these compartments that had been supposedly protected. It was one of the ones actually made onto the list and Forestry had just logged it. And uh, it turned out they'd logged 11 compartments the same where they had been guaranteed for protection under the agreement with the Commonwealth, the ones that finally made it through the list, and they were um, actively logging them. So it gives you an idea how, how forestry works. Um, so uh, uh, what happened then uh, was that we, uh, uh, the current government was elected and uh, to protect old growth forests and to set up this forest assessment process. And... Really, from then after, NEFA got subsumed into the forest assessment process. So uh, we had uh, the, the, the whole concept was a balanced assessment. So you, we had um, uh, equal representation of uh, conservation groups uh, and of industry. So there was, for example, 
generally speaking, in terms there was one as well as government agencies being balanced. There was uh, one CFMEU, uh, one Timber Industry, and two conservationists on all these committees overseeing this massive forest assessment process. It was a uh, a, a, a huge job to do. Um, uh, you know, I, I devoted basically three and a half years of my life to it, and so did a lot of other NEFA people being on these various committees. Um, but but we we had a real say in the process. It was actually the process was really good. It actually enabled us to make sure the good assessments were done. Old growth was mapped. Rainforest was remapped. Uh, uh, threatened species were assessed. We had models for most of the animals where they occurred across the landscape. Uh, we had all these targets that we developed for all those. It was a, uh, you know, I, I don't regret taking part in it. We we went through a, a, a well, sorry, before I get to the the actual outcomes of that process, as a um, diversion in. Um, in uh, uh, 1995, uh, we, we had been going through a negotiation process over Wyomine State Forest with forestry. So that was local groups and, and NEFA working together. And they, um, uh, forestry had decided no, no more negotiation. We're going to go log here anyway. This was next to the Rocky Creek Dam. And uh, <clears throat> uh, Hugh and Nan came along and they found three endangered minion quandong. Uh, in the area proposed for logging. So where forestry, forestry had done all their assessments and hadn't found, hadn't found them at all. Uh, we also found a dead koala and lots of koalas together and they hadn't found koalas either. Uh, but this minion quandong was known before that from one individual, one single plant on the other side of the dam. So here we had this endangered plant, only one previously known, and here they were about to log three more. So um, uh, because of the threatened plants, we managed to shut that down. And they moved across to the next range, which was in Nullum State Forest. Uh, and there, a, a group of locals were concerned about the logging because they were pushing roads through rainforests, they were dropping trees into creeks. It was just, a, just an appalling logging operation. Um, and so they stopped the logging. So I went to check it out and we found 60 of these uh, endangered minion quandong had been bulldozed, they'd been cut down with chainsaws, they had trees dropped on them. It was just carnage. We <laughs> sabotage, yes. Um, so they totally decimated. So then, then we decided that this was not on because they wouldn't do pre-logging surveys for threatened plants and, or, or fauna. Uh, and so we want them to be done. So we shut down all logging operations in the Mullumbar management area. So that was a pretty good call to shut down a whole management area. So we had blockades then in um, Mebane and Wollumbin. Uh And, uh, you know, they were successful in that the <coughs> Minister for, um, uh, for Forestry agreed that there would be pre-logging surveys, uh, not just there, but really throughout uh, North East New South Wales as a result of that. Um, so just to go back to, um, um, uh, to the forest assessment process. So here we were in this process with um, uh, all industry groups involved, this massive uh, data compilation process uh, and the outcome uh, in uh, uh, 1990, uh, no, 1997 was an interim assessment process where we got a, a, a moratorium over... Um, about 800,000 hectares of forest. We got, uh, I know, about uh, 100 or something thousand hectares of forest added to the reserve system. 
Um, so th that was a, an interim process while a full assessment was undertaken. That was actually a good process. We all sat down around the table with the data and GIS maps and all these decision rules and decided which areas should be protected. Uh, and then we moved into... Uh, so, so over that period, um, so the outcome of that was they could protect all this high conservation areas we identified, all these areas that should be added to the reserve system, the 800,000 hectares, uh, except in one area, and that was up around um, uh, Lismore, you know, Mullumbar, that area, where there was a shortfall and they couldn't stay out of them until we finished the, the full assessment. So then they established a, a North East Forest Advisory Board and I got to be on this board that oversaw forestry's operations. And it was a horrific process. We had three NISA people on it in the interest of the, the balance process. And, uh, and we had to oversee what they did. And one of the, uh, our aim was to delay them getting into these conservation areas as long as we could while the full assessment was undertaken. And um, uh, uh, obviously the industry's aim was to get as much as they could in the interim. So it was, it was, a, it was a, a, a quite a, a terrible process. But we, we kept on finding them logging illegally. So we finally got agreement the first area of the conservation uh, criteria outcomes that they could, that they could log was in Wyomite, compartment 68. And um, so we got all these extra conditions on it, as well as the illegal conditions. Uh, and then um, uh, some uh, locals decided to blockade the operation uh, that, that we, we had approved subject to it being best practice and found all these breaches. And they ended up being prosecuted for the breaches. So here they were on their best endeavour. They couldn't meet their simple legal requirements. So, um, uh, well, it was. And they, they, they went and logged another couple after that. Uh, uh, one we agreed to after going through a rigorous process and they breached the rules on that again. And then the third one, which we didn't agree to, but were outvoted by the Park Service, uh, they did the same again. So they... You know, the whole thing just showed that forestry cannot do a good job even when they're under uh, immense pressure. Um, so anyway, we move on to the, to the final outcome of the forest process. So we, we had been through the interim negotiations and we went to the final negotiations in uh, uh, 1998 and basically we were totally done over. You know, the, um, uh, Bob Carr put Mark Greenhill, who's now... Uh, mayor in the Blue Mountains in charge of the forest assessment process. Now, he up till then, he had been representing the CFMEU. He was there representing the process, totally on the industry side, and they put him in charge of, of making all the decisions in the Premier's office. So we knew we were on a, a hiding to nowhere there. And um, uh, we did the, the data show that the Park Service and Forestry sat down and said, well, if we apply the reserve criteria, we had all these targets for, for uh, 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 ecosystems, had to retain 15% of the original uh, distribution of each forest ecosystem. We had targets for old growth, and the old growth targets were only 60% or 100% for rare and endangered ones. Uh, we had uh, numerous targets for fauna where we'd identified what was a viable population and we mapped it across the landscape as how much of their habitat had to protect. Uh, we had you know, targets for uh, threatened plants and uh, uh, even targets for centres of endemism. So we have, I was quite happy that we'd done the best job we could. I'm not, I know there's lots of problems with it. Um, and so the, the government agencies applied all that data and identified that we need to reserve uh, over a million hectares of forests in northeast New South Wales at that time. 
we, um, we applied the data that they put a constraint on. It couldn't be more than 70% of each region. So we took that constraint off and we identified 1.2 million hectares was required. So that's what the data and the science said we need to reserve to meet the national reserve criteria because there were criteria there that set all these targets and we were just applying the targets. Um, and so uh, uh, well, what the government wanted to do was go with the industry position, which was about 350-odd thousand hectares of the steep, unlockable stuff up along the escarpment. And uh, 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 thankfully they didn't do that, but they only... Uh, we, we, we did a compromise position of 870,000 hectares of forest. The, for, the logs only wanted 330-odd thousand, and so they, um, the government came out with 380,000 hectares was all they would protect. And uh, that was Carr's great forest decision. His moment in history was to protect a third of, uh, or less of what was the science said we needed. Um, luckily, the... The scientific criteria stayed in there for the core of that, so, so it wasn't a waste of time, but, but, you know, we got nowhere near the reserve system we needed. And, um, uh, <coughs> uh, hmm? Yeah. And so um, after... Uh, so, so they came up with their decision. I mean, our trouble had been, since, since, since Carr put um, Mark Greenhill in charge of it, really, we were stuck between a rock and a hard place. We... If we pulled out, it would have gone totally industries away. So we had to stay in there just to try to salvage something from the process, uh, which we did salvage a bit, but um, uh, nothing like what the science said we needed. Uh, but we kept in there after that as well, and we actually managed to claw a lot of that back. So uh, in the end, from when Carr was elected until um, 2003, we got the last bits back, which was um, included places like Wine Wine. And, uh, the 13 icon areas we got protected then, including places like Wine Wine and Malumban and uh, Bungawalb and a whole lot of areas further south. Uh, I think Way Way got out of that stage. Um, uh, uh, I, I think it's uh, worked out about 740,000 hectares of forest we got in the reserve system and about 300,000 hectares of state forests that we got. Uh, uh, in in um, informal reserves, which are mostly old growth and rainforest, excluded from logging. So, uh, in in terms of, uh, of of outcome, they were significant over that period of time, um, but uh, uh, nothing like what the science said we needed. All right, so I'll um, I'll call it a, a break there for a while. Thank you, Dylan. And I think uh, what, what we're going to do now is we're going to have a musical interlude. So uh, as soon as the uh, band have taken their places on stage... Should we do this one next? Yep, that's right there in front of me. Let's do it. So um, another person who couldn't make it tonight but is still with us is Izzy McLucas-Brent. And she's actually been sending me messages on Facebook Messenger whilst this gig's been on. She's at home listening to the live streaming of this now. on, And she's so excited and she's so looking forward to hearing her song. We love you, Izzy. I hope we get it right. <laughs> love you, Izzy. It's up there in the mountain that's running down the streams It's hiding in a secret place 
written by uh, on a blockade by a group of people and each verse was written by different people doing different things at the blockade and one verse was written by people up a tree set and so it becomes the forest fuckers song I think there might be a bit of a language warning on this one so if you've got delicate ears um, put your uh, cotton wool in uh, blue language in this one 
Are you ready? You must know Bergs by now. One more time. 